firstly, Richard, could you just tell us a bit about your experience in the security industry and, um, and how it might have affected your decision to write this book, The Security Consultant's Handbook? Well, Alex, I, I started out actually um, in communications and I was, uh, I was working uh, with the Blair government in communications uh, around the management and sort of more, more messaging and, and public safety and visits, etc. And, and I, I got sort of dragged across into logistics. So security became a, a very interesting world for me from um, having to take into consideration things like event security planning, uh, the, the movement, uh, you know, the planning around uh, politicians and, and quite high-profile visits and campaign visits and things. So, so that was kind of my first sort of major security management uh, purview, if you like. And then, over the last few years, I, I, I went more into protective security. So, I, I undertook a number of, um, I suppose you would call them sort of close protection roles because that's what the license says. So. Um, the, the epiphany happened for me really was was I, I was working in Russia on a short-term security contract and was sort of filing reports and, and working with one of the Olympic sponsors over there for the, the Winter Olympics and, and I just thought that there's not really for many years there's there's been so much change in the industry and there's been so much change in the economy that um, there's not really a book that encapsulates all of it if you like um, so you know, if you're sort of quite new to security or you don't have deep technical expertise, then I, I wanted to produce sort of a, a go-to guide. Um, so by, by no means am I saying that all the solutions are in there, but it would be sort of a, a pathway, if you like, to access different areas of security management, whether it would be sort of around human resource management or whether it would be around uh, protecting ships, you know, off the coast of uh, of um, of sort of the Indian Ocean, or whether it might be sort of planning um, more logistics, you know, around sort of event security and that type of thing. So, so all in all, I had a sort of a, I've got a mixed experience, about 15 years of security experience. Some of it was protective security, and um, others, I've been in teaching three years, so we, we, at Bucks New University, we teach uh, a, a BA course in security consultancy, and we also teach a master's in organizational resilience. So um, I, I, I've been sort of privy to teaching students based all around the world um, around those disciplines as well. Fantastic. So is it is it how have you managed to identify the, the role shift then? Because um, you mentioned there's a protective site and then the assets manager leading to contributive overall organization resilience. How did you manage to identify that that role shift? Well, I, I, th I think some of it um, was driven by the, the people who I had worked with, and, and some of the um, sort of the, the security managers. So you, I, I, I was involved uh, with sort of running briefings and and um, networking events with senior security managers over the last few years. And time and time again, they they were sort of telling me how the economy and how technology had shifted the security role. So whereas a few years ago there were quite sort of Big budgets, you know, if you like, sort of post 9/11, and and quite a lot of specialisms were hired into to uh, organisations. Um, now we were looking at uh, security functions being reduced because of technology or because of the, the budgets not being there. So what what that means is that everyone or most people that were in a security function 
if they weren't really, really niche or specialists, they were having to step up and become, if you like, sort of resilience leaders in their own organisation. They, 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 they were, um, they were having to sort of uh, do assessment reports around where people were travelling. Um, they were having to sort of double check the IT systems to see if that could, if that, if that was resilient. Um, they were people in security now often had um, access to executive boards or chief executives or C-suite people. So um, I, th I think the partly driven by the uh, sort of the training and the accreditations that have come on stream over the past few years, but more driven by a, a business need, if you like, the security, sort of traditional security officer role has, has morphed into being more um, a, a sort of a, a decent resilience manager role, really. Mm. Okay, and is that how you might have come to, to write the foundations, the basis, um, in developing the conclusion of that to, to write the book? Yeah, and it was it was also um, th there were quite a few times I, I, I've seen actually where security officers or security contractors um, or even sort of small security firms that they had lost their role um, or they've been dismissed sort of partway through a contract. Um, because the client hadn't seen organisational value in them. And so what I wanted to sort of say in the book was, um, instead of just doing what's on the can or the, the day job, clients now expect security managers to look at the entire piece of resilience. You know, it's no, it's no good just to sort of say you've got 20 people based around a perimeter fence in Milton Keynes or Scarborough, you know, at a hotel. You, they, they, they have to... Um, step up and, and take responsibility for a, a, an organization's overall resilience, whether that means sort of double-checking the, the financial controls or the, uh, the resilience of the IT system or the, the building plans for a new extension. Um, all, the, all these things now sort of fall within the competence of uh, security managers or, or facilities managers, if you like. There's been sort of quite a convergence over the last few years. So um, it's just... You know, I was trying to sort of nurture the idea of, of, of thinking about the role and, and looking at your role if you're a security manager or security officer. Look at that role from the eyes of the client, really. Yeah, and maybe think about what is what you're saying. Like maybe think about broadening the the depth of of the the criteria there. Well, that's it. I, I mean, for, for example, I, I was on a, uh, a security job a few years ago now, and um, uh, th this was sort of quite a big close protection team and half the team was stood down after a couple of weeks because nothing happened. There, there was a, a period of, of, of peace, if you like. Now, that's what we're employed to do. You know, so it, to all intents and purposes, we actually did the job and fulfilled the, the contract. However, because the client saw it as being peaceful, they, they, they perceived the situation to, to mean that they didn't require security for the second half of the operation. So they stood <laughs> half the guys down. Now, now uh, you know, that, that, that does happen and it will continue to happen, but an intelligent response to that would be, well, from our point of view as security contractors, well, hang on a minute, you know, why we've been stood down? Are there other areas of value that we can give? You know, for instance, report writing around um, regional risks or what might be going on in an area. Are there contingency plans we could be developing and sort of issuing to the client on a daily basis? Um, yeah. are, are there... Um, are there concerns around information security management that, that we could be putting in a briefing and, and giving to the client on a daily basis? So, so in other words, that if, if, if and when the security contractors are stood down, the client really, really misses them. 
They, in your book, you discuss um, security from a, from a business point of view. So much like you've just said, it kind of encapsulates all, all organization resilience. So you touch on entrepreneurial practice and management practice, and you say, to provoke new ideas and offering clients safe, proportionate, and value-driven security services. By, by definition, I guess, organizations might assume that consultants have, have an idea of what they're doing or are advising. So what might be the missing link that you might have identified in the skill set that needs to adapt or change to, to reflect this? Well, I, I think there's two areas, really. Uh, uh, one is around the business professionalization of, of security contractors. So um, particularly large companies look at the world in a, in a helicopter way, and that they, they kind of expect briefings, and they expect information to come in, into them in, in certain ways, you know, whether that's through SWOT analysis or, or PESTEL or various other forms of management um, models. So firstly, I, I, I think there's... There's a need for any security entrepreneur or security contract service to be sort of management literate. So when they go into organisations uh, bidding for things and putting forward proposals, that their information actually synchronises to how the client would expect a a, a firm to behave. Um, the, the second thing is is around um, empathy. It, it, so so many times we're, we're told in traditional security training or security management to step into the shoes of the adversary, which is fine, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but really in today's climes we should be stepping into the shoes of the, the business owner or the client or the shareholder that we're, we're working for, really. Yeah, so you can identify the benefits and the needs must for the reasons behind the, the way they take their stance on, on security. Well, exactly. I, I, I think from a security point of view, sometimes we we are guilty of seeing quite small things um, and sort of defining them as a, as a security threat to the organisation. Uh, that, 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 that's not to diminish the, the importance of, of theft or, or, or sort of a, a bomb going off at a particular site, but in terms of business continuity, uh, you know, a, a small bomb could go off at a site and harm nobody, and, and the business itself would not be uh, in any way um, shaken or, or, or its continuity wouldn't be disturbed, you know. But um, I think we've got to step into the shoes of, of the business and the executive board and, and, and what are the shareholders looking at when they meet on, a, on an annual basis at their, their meetings. And, and some, some quite big threats and risks to businesses emerge. Um, for instance, the Ukraine scenario, you know, a couple of years ago, that, that's a massive threat and risk to certain companies operating out of Central Asia and certain global companies as well, you know, such as hotel chains and insurance firms, etc. Those are those are the big global risks to them. Um, and as security contractors, we, we we have to kind of appreciate that more and, and study that more, um, as opposed to just talking our our language to potential customers all the time. Are you able to to talk us through one of your case studies at all? Maybe give us an insight as to how um, you might have gone into a, an organization and and delivered using these practices and and, and the outcome well I, I, th I think um, I, I wrote quite a few case studies in the book the, the one that worried me most if you like um, was was the case study of Sony pictures entertainment the, the, the hack and the sort of the terror alert back in 2014 yeah. 
And just to reprise that for people, um, essentially around November 2014, a group of hackers calling themselves the Guardians of Peace released confidential data belonging to uh, lots of the staff at Sony, and that included sort of personal photos, personal details, salary details, um, tax and revenue numbers, and quite um, sensitive communications between sort of film editors and, and actors, you know, sort of contractual details and, and perspectives and things. So it was all quite, uh, well, it was, it was very embarrassing for some of the company executives, and, and there were about eight breaches of this over, over a few weeks. So um, it was well documented back in um, the winter of 2014. But I, I think essentially with that case, um, it, it, it was political, you know, it was, it was a group of hackers saying to a company, if you don't behave in a certain way, we're going to set out and ruin you systematically and ruin the individuals that happen to work for you at this point. Um, and so, you know, you basically had a scenario of cyber-based blackmail writ large. Um, now, whoever was responsible for that is, from a sort of a security management perspective, is almost irrelevant to those of us outside of Sony. Um, but it was, it was such an engaging scenario, and it was kind of a taster of the way that cyber security is going. In, in, in the, I think, two or three years ago, even. Um, Organisations were, were, were targeted in quite a specific way, um, but now almost any organisation, just like any person, um, will be targeted. You know, if if if, if they're vulnerable uh, and if they have a an internet footprint. So, um, I think a lot of the book around the cyber security and the information security chapter begins to ask the reader. Um, is it, is it a case that in sort of developed economies or so-called developed economies such as America and Europe, do, do we have to actually have more restrictive or physically protected um, information systems now? Uh, do, do we have to begin to replicate or behave like information security managers and security contractors in high-risk environments such as Afghanistan or Iraq? Um, so that for, for me, if, if you want to sort of look at the way the world's unfolding over the next few years, um, I, I, I thought the, the um, uh, cyber security, information security chapter uh, case study around Sony was, was sort of the, the, the most interesting one. Brilliant. So for our, our listeners and potential readers, who would particularly benefit from, from reading your book um, today, tomorrow, in the next four, four months, five months, years? Well, the, the book is quite broad-ranging, so um, I've got a number of chapters. The, the first chapter is around being an entrepreneur, the second chapter is around being a, a manager, the third is around laws and regulation, the fourth is around conducting investigations, and then we move to information security, protective security, and safer business travel. And then we've got a chapter on organizational resilience that sort of closes the book. So I, I, I think really a, a, anybody that is uh, conducting security work or looking to um, get promoted within security and, 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 and rise up the, the chain of command in, in the security management um, sphere it, it would, would, would probably benefit from the book. It certainly, I set, I set out to write um, 
sort of an original platform of uh, of contemporary information that probably those sort of chapters and haven't been pulled together in that way uh, for many years. So, and actually, it's as much about running a, a business and and operating in senior business roles as it is about being a security manager or security contractor, if you like. So I think most people would would um, benefit from that who, who have a security license and, and are ambitious and want to sort of understand more how companies work. I, th I think it's very obvious to me that um, areas around economic crime and fraud, I, I, I mainly omitted from this book because Firstly, I, I, I don't have the skills and competencies in that sphere. And um, secondly, I think there's so many good books out there that, that cover that off and have been produced uh, most recently um, that there's probably not need for me to, to go into that much depth within another chapter in that book. But um, I mean, I, I also chose to go through you guys at IT Governance to publish it because your company has a very sort of coherent and dynamic approach to looking at information security risks within the broader context of, of day-to-day -day business management 